Good morning. My name is Bill. I'm one of the elders, and I have the privilege of bringing the sermon today. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for being the great God of the universe allowing us to praise you and worship you, to even know you at all. Please bless our minds, Lord, as we gather together around your word, as we study and think about it. Please challenge us, Lord. Please help us to put away all the distractions of life and give your, our focus to you right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be talking about kingdoms in conflict uh, this morning. And I'm, uh, point number one is there is a reality around us that we don't see. Um, 800 B.C., the king of Syria, his name is Ben-Hadad, and he is sending raiding parties into the northern kingdom of Israel to see if he can kill or capture that king. But this problem is, is every once in a while, uh, as he sends them on in, Elisha the prophet informs the king of the northern Israel where the ambush is going to take place, and so nothing happens. After a while, Ben-Hadad figures things out, and he figures there's got to be a spy amongst them. So he calls all of his council and servants together, and he says, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? A servant replies, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom. So when Ben-Hadad found out about Elisha was in the city of Dothan, this is a, uh, a picture of the ruins of Dothan. And that's the mountains that you can see in part of the view around it. So he, anyhow, he sends out a, uh, horse, horses and chariots and a great army to surround Dothan. Early in the morning, Elisha's servant wakes up. He goes outside, and he has this frightening discovery that they are surrounded and doom sets in on the poor guy. And seeing the overwhelming doom, he, ex he exclaims to Elisha, he says, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. Excuse me, Elisha then prays, O Lord, please open the eyes so that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw that the mountains were full of chariots of fire, the horses and the angels of God. They were all around them. And Elisha prayed again for the Lord's intervention, and the enemy were blinded and helpless. And the battle was over before it began. The servant only saw that there was a formidable army uh, around him till the Lord opened his eyes. The spiritual dimension that could not be seen was temporarily made visible for this servant. So I want to ask you a question. Why was it that the servant got to have this privilege? This servant is not even named in fact, he's a replacement for a previous servant that Elisha has. He's just a common Joe. 
Why does he get the privilege of seeing this? You know, in the end, Elisha already knows what's going on. Elisha doesn't need to see the chariots of fire all around them to protect them. Elisha already knows about that. He's seen Elijah go up into heaven on a chariot of fire. It's not new to him. The servant, the servant seeing this doesn't change what happens in the battle. Battle was going to go on without him seeing this. And it isn't because the servant would have been somebody special, like maybe the king of Israel, whereby if the king of Israel might have seen, wow, that is really something, I think maybe I'll change my plans on how I'm behaving. So that's not happening. That doesn't affect, that doesn't affect anything in history except that the servant gets to see it. So why did the creator of the universe open up the servant's eyes? Why, and why did he put this down in the biblical record so that you and I could study it and learn from it? You know, God does things for a purpose. I'm going to say, could it be that God provided this for you and for me? Just as much as that servant. Could it be that God wants to open our eyes to a dimension that we cannot see? He wants us to see that there is this dimension that we don't see. The servant and us, we're getting a glimpse at the greater reality. Satan had inspired a wicked plan days before the servant even saw anything about a surrounding army. And there was also a counteroffensive going on before the servant knew anything at all. And just a moment. In that counteroffensive, those who are with us, so Elisha is saying, those who are with us in the chariots of fire are greater than those who are with the other army. So there is a battle going on between God's holy angels and Satan's demons, the fallen angels. You know, if this servant hadn't seen behind the veil, he and we would not have seen that there was a greater reality behind the miracle that was about ready to take place. The miracle was going to happen anyhow. The blinding of the enemy was going to happen anyhow. But the Lord's letting us in on there's a dimension that we don't see. There is a reality around us that we don't see. Now, before I go any further, I think I need to address the, maybe the skeptic or the unbeliever who might be in here or might see this online. And you might be leery of superstition, and I am also. And uh, my friend, I don't have the time in this sermon to settle the doubts that you may have about the things that I'm bringing up. But I would be happy to have that friendly conversation or discussion with you if you want at some other time. See, my background is in science. I went to the University of Illinois and I got a bachelor's degree in science. And I've been working in that area all my working career. The university is almost exclusively dominated by what I would call the materialistic thought. That is, it only regards that which it can see and touch. Um, it disregards the supernatural. The modern materialistic thought requires a materialistic explanation of everything. My professor at U of I summed it up well when he said, we will not be considering supernatural explanations of how and why things are or how they came to be. 
Now, because of my science background, it was much easier for me to be satisfied with the material explanation for everything until I encountered the supernatural. Evidence of the miraculous forced me to consider that while the material world that God designed is scientifically repeatable and predictable, there are times when the supernatural intersects with our creation. And if you have truly witnessed the miraculous, and some of you in this room have, you can never go back to that limited view you had before. And of course, the opposite is true. If some of you have not witnessed the miraculous, sometimes you're more skeptical and have a harder time considering it. My challenge to my skeptical friend in here, could there be a dimension that interacts in ours in a limited way? Ways that we might call supernatural because they are not in keeping with the natural order of things that we see. And could there be prejudice in our dominant culture to disregard the supernatural at the university level so that it is not considered, it is not investigated, it is not evaluated because it is kept out from being considered from the get-go? That's the way it was in my experience. Sometimes what we can see is not all that there is. I want you to take a look at this. Uh, This is from the new James Webb telescope just taken within the last two weeks. Uh, Up until last month, people could not see anywhere near this kind of clarity out in the distance of the stars and the galaxies. And in fact, what you're seeing there inside that picture is mostly galaxies. Before there was a telescope, no one had any idea that galaxies even existed. That would have been an imagination because all you could see with your naked eye are stars. There is no such thing as a galaxy. You would have a hard time convincing someone before the telescope that anything like a galaxy even existed, but they did. Could it be that there is yet another reality around you that you don't see that you have not experienced? Let's move on to point two, which will take us a step further. There is a spiritual battle in the reality that we do not see, and we are in it. Uh, We're going to be looking through Ephesians chapter 6 right now. It's going to be up on the wall, and uh, someone in the back of the room is going to read it for us. Take a listen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayers and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. 
It is understood from the beginning of the Bible all the way through that there is a cosmic battle going on between Satan and his demons and the Lord and his angels, between those people who are willing to follow the Lord and those who are not. There is a cosmic battle going on. And while this passage informs us about the formidability of the enemy by using the words like cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Sounds quite formidable. This passage also shows us that the Lord's, with the Lord's equipping, we can stand against it. We are not helpless. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. When the believer is dressed for battle, they come prepared. They come committed to the truth revealed in God's word. They have studied it. They come humble in the gospel, remembering that their sins are covered by the mercy of God, and now Satan's accusations of those past sins no longer hold standing because they have confessed that and have repented and are forgiven and it's covered by Jesus. They, pres- they persevere in prayer and praise and worship. So, Christian, are you standing equipped? Or are some of your mar- is some of your armor missing right now? Is it in good shape or not? Now, back in April, Doug was able to teach on the armor of God, and so I am not going to go into the detail that he did back in April, but what I want us to focus on more today is the verse where it says, stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. The word for schemes could also be translated as strategies. You see, the devil and his demons have a playbook. They have made a study of us humans in general, and you and I in particular, And they have come to know our weaknesses and they know our history. They have the ability to bring up distant things in our past because they were there. And they would be glad to bring it up if it would give them some kind of advantage over us. Scripture declares that the devil comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy what God has designed. Both you and me and both his creation too. Remember first and foremost... He is God's enemy. The devil wants to turn us against the creator. He wants to steal our attention and focus from the creator. He wants to destroy God's credibility in our eyes. He wants us to join the corruption of God's design for us and for the world. He wants to encourage our pride and rebellion. And he wants to make us a slave to sin and make sure he keeps us there too. So how does he gain that kind of influence and hold, hold on us. I want you to just hold that thought, that question. How does he gain that influence? You know, last week, Don Blair was teaching about how we need to have in our busy life time that we set aside to listen for God. The Lord wants to teach us. He wants to give us insight for, the, for not only this moment, but throughout our life. Jesus said, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. For the believer, the Holy Spirit wants to help us. 
The believer has God's Holy Spirit teaching and reminding us. We call this inspiration. When the believer prays for wisdom and guidance, we are praying for inspiration. Sometimes we notice the insight didn't come from us. We notice it came from God. But most of the time, the Lord works so subtly that we can't tell that. How does the Spirit bring these thoughts to remembrance? How does exactly does God's dimension again merge into mine? How does he get that to us? Exactly? I don't know. But I am certain that he does. Uh, there have been many outstanding times in my life and in the lives of others that I know that this has happened. These are instances that could have only been through God's inspiration and intervention. They have his fingerprints all over them. Satan and his demons seem to have their own counterfeit version of this, a twisted, evil inspiration using temptations and accusations, overwhelming fears and lies are examples of this. Let's take fears, for example. All of us have had fears that have alerted us to trouble. But sometimes a person is maybe in a panic or greatly overwhelmed. And some of us have problems with anxiety that goes on many times a day. These fears can play in our heads like unwanted repeating tapes, distracting and discouraging us, bringing us down. Some of our fears are God's built-in system to alert us to danger. And in those cases, God wants us to act on something. But many times our fears are lying to us. You know, in fact, if any person lied to you as much as your fears... You would never believe a thing that they said. Think about them. How many times have they not come true? Some of those fearful tapes are inspired by Satan. Here's an example in the scriptures of Satan gaining some access. In Matthew it says, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and rebuked him, Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you, Peter, are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, we can be pretty sure that Jesus can tell the difference between Satan and Peter. But Peter has been listening to and acting on twisted inspiration from Satan, and he is getting played in his fear for Jesus. Jesus sees the source of the fear, and he addresses it directly. This is the same Peter who later is able to say, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. There is a spiritual battle in the reality that we don't see, and it is affecting us. Satan takes our human weaknesses 
like fears, and somehow he amplifies them so loud that we have a hard time hearing from God or remembering anything he has taught us. Here's a quick analogy. If I go over to that piano over there, I can lift up the lid, and there's chords going back and forth, one for each one of the notes that are in there. If I was able to sing a strong C sharp, I'd sing into it. I, could never, I wouldn't have to touch it, but I can get the C sharp chord vibrating by my voice without touching it. When the devil sings or whispers our notes, things that we may be having trouble with, things maybe not, things that we're struggling with, things we may not be, but when, he's, when he whispers or sings them, he can amplify fear that we have. It becomes an overwhelmingly large note. The note already exists. I've got trouble with fear, and I'm not relying enough on the Lord, but Satan amplifies it to an overwhelming level. Satan is playing your fearfulness, your weakness. Have any of you ever experienced that? Can you think of times that your overreaction to fear has left you with regrets? I can. Satan has been playing me. Temptations are another strategy in the playbook. Satan uses our imaginations of pleasure and all kinds of things, and he hides the consequence. It's a bait-and-switch deal. Free sex is unbelievably wonderful and exciting, but sexually transmitted diseases, pregnancy, broken relationships, feeling used, and all the other hard consequences that come out of that are not. Satan is happy to amplify temptations of sin, And then when you fall into that sin and have regrets, he's very happy to help condemn you with accusations of having sinned. He plays it on both sides. He tempts you to lie about your sin or excuse it, causing you to hide from where you could gain forgiveness through Christ, which is where you should be running, not to an excuse or not to a lie. Promoting lies are Satan's go-to strategy. Uh, He tempts you to lie, and he tries to spin with other people in the culture around us lies to get us to believe them. In John, Jesus says, Jesus said to a religious group that was opposing him, "Why why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you, your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and is, does, not, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. You see, if you listen to Satan's lies long enough, It can distort your view of reality. I'm going to give just two quick little examples. Uh, And in these examples, I'm not trying to point out condescension or judgment on any of the examples I'm giving. But they are there just so I can get you to help consider what long-term exposure to Satan's lies does. All of us have sinned and need Christ's forgiveness, including my examples. This last Father's Day, 
I listened to a man claiming that an abortion of an untimely pregnancy made him a better father. Well, maybe not for that child it didn't. He thought it did because it made him more strategic with his later children. Can you see how he's, the Satan has twisted his mind? He disregards his first child. Satan will help me find excuses for my sin when what I really need is the mercy and Christ's forgiveness. And this man can have that if he would turn and look for it with Christ. Another example, our culture is leaving God's truth in many different ways, leaving God's design and saying, you've got your truth, I've got my truth, we can all have our own truth. It leads to a misunderstanding and confusion of what God has created. In the beginning, God created mankind male and female. It is his intended design in order that they be fruitful and multiply. But Satan counters, counters with a whispering, uh, amplifying of twisted feelings, disappointments, despair, rejection, and false hopes of being a different gender might be the answer. It's another lie. The confused person needs our compassion and love and encouragement, but they don't need our enablement to violate God's design. Calling the truth a lie and a lie the truth is one of Satan's tried and true strategies. He loves to amplify our doubts. One last strategy in stealth. In stealth, when Paul writes... For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. These are satanically influenced and deceived religious leaders who don't know that that's what's going on. They're deceived. Satan wants to make corrupting inroads into God's people so he can do a lot of damage within the church and then blame it on God and his people. On top of that, he runs a misdirection program. There's the problem of friendly fire within the church where Satan takes advantage of a misunderstanding or maybe an offense and builds a plausible false accusation in the mind of one believer against another believer. Instead of following Matthew 18 and making sure it's not a misunderstanding, someone attacks with a false accusation. Satan promotes a a shoot-first-and-ask-questions-later approach. You know, we expect that kind of a thing from the world, but we don't expect it in the church, yet it has happened. Have you ever been misunderstood and falsely accused by another believer? I have. Or, have you ever been the one who impulsively misunderstood and falsely accused someone else? Satan has played me before. There is a spiritual battle in the reality that we don't see, and you are in it. Are you seeing some of Satan's strategies working around you or on people who you know or maybe even on you? 
Can you see it influencing the culture? While the causes of sin and evil and trials are not all due to the devil, some of them eventually have his fingerprints on them anyhow later on. Point three. How do we stand up and break free of these unseen rulers and authorities with their cosmic power? How do we resist? There is a Savior to deliver us through our battles and the reality that we don't see. In John, he says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And in James it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We'll take these one at a time. Submit to God. James is referring to making Jesus your Savior and Master. And then you will be able to come underneath his forgiveness and then his authority and power. The draw near to God... You need to be so close to God that you come underneath his protection, his wisdom, and his authority. You see, being adopted into God's family as a forgiven believer, you end up borrowing Jesus' authority. How so, you might ask? It was like when I borrowed my dad's authority when I was growing up. You see, my dad was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. And... uh, When I was old enough, when I became 16, I was able to drive off the Air Force Base. And then when I would return to the Air Force Base, I had to go through the military police who were at the gate inspecting who was allowed on and who wasn't. And from a distance, the MP could see me traveling on in, and he's looking for a sticker on my car that I'm driving. I'm just 16. He's looking for a sticker on that car, and as he comes in, he sees the sticker, so he knows he can come in, but when he gets really close, he can see this is a senior officer, and he stamps too, and he salutes as I pass by. I'm 16. I'm the only one in the car. But I moved about underneath my dad's authority and his position, and I came in his car. I borrowed his authority. It was pretty interesting for a 16-year-old to get saluted. (laughs) Lastly, cleanse your mind, you double-minded. When it says, cleanse your hands, you double-minded, it is referring to putting away sinful garbage that we have not gotten rid of our life. The Lord's after us to get rid of some of the sins, but we're kind of holding on to them. If you are giving room to sin, you are providing the devil a foothold. It is hard to keep the devil out When the back door is left wide open. Finally, resist the devil. When we resist the devil, we must do it in God's way. We borrow his authority. We put on his armor. We pray for deliverance from the adversaries in Jesus' name. Jesus touched on this in a very important prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer. And in Matthew, towards the end of the Lord's Prayer, it says, And lead us not into temptation... But deliver us from the evil. In some versions it says deliver us from the evil one. It is referring to Satan and his actions. We are praying for deliverance from the adversary. We are saved and delivered from our sin in Jesus' name. And we are also saved and delivered from the devil's strategies and traps 
in the name of Jesus. In Romans it says, Now in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, the adversary, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you see that the devil has made some inroads into your life and has a foothold that you cannot get out of, if Scripture advises you to seek out guidance from someone who can shepherd you out from under that evil, if someone is trapped in a besetting sin, that's an ongoing one you can't get out of, they need to seek the guidance of God In Timothy it says, so that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. There is a Savior to deliver us through our battles and the reality that we do not see. He has a powerful name. That name is Jesus. Now I'm going to go through one more passage in the scriptures, and it's in Philippians. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, including the devil, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and kindness and your protection and your looking out for us. Thank you so much that you've allowed us to call on your name for deliverance from the adversary. Lord, please help us to see the greater reality. Please help us to discern how to battle and how to resist. Please deliver us from this evil one. If there are any besetting sins for all of those who may be here, that there are people who are struggling, Lord, please encourage them to find counsel, godly counsel to deliver. Please win this battle for us, Lord. We thank you for your love and your mercy to us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.